This morning, I want to share a message on the next sections in Psalm 119. I hope you're not getting tired of this book, this, this chapter. Uh, it feels like a book, but it's just a chapter, and it goes on and on and on, but it's powerful, and God has something to say to us today. And so let's do a little bit review, as we've been doing. We've been reviewing some Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew letters of the alphabet, because each, uh, each section starts with a Hebrew letter. Now, that doesn't translate in the English well. Uh, but if you were a Hebrew speaker, you would see that there's connection here between the Hebrew letter and the words that are in the text. So um, we have several letters that we're just going to review. We have Aleph, Bet, and Gimel, Dalet, and He, and Wav. I like He. I don't know. He just is cool. He and Wav. And we have Zayin, and Heth, and Tet, and Yod, Kaf, and Lamet, and Mem and Nun, and today we have Samak. Okay, so at the end you need to do a little bit of Okay, Samak. Ah, very good. And Ayin. Wonderful. And so I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. You've got some Hebrew, you know, guttural language in you now. Now you're ready to, you know, read the scripture with me. And we're going to read from Psalm 119, verses 113 to 128. And let's read together in one voice. It'll be on the screen behind me. Let's do this together. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. I have done what is right and righteous and just. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Ensure your servants' well-being. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, Lord. Your law is being broken. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Psalm 119. You continue to speak to our hearts through this chapter, Lord, and I pray that you'd give us the endurance to finish this chapter of the Bible and that you would put a great sense of love in our hearts for the law of God, for your word, O Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd also teach us how to hate certain things, things that you hate, not things that we hate or things that we just dislike, but Lord, the things you hate, you're very clear about what you do not like. And I pray that as your children, as believers, as Christians, I pray that we would feel the same way you feel about the things you feel about. 
And so, Jesus, we're asking for your presence this morning to speak. God, I seek your face today as I preach the word of God to your people. Would you strengthen me on, from on high for the task of preaching, God? People that come to hear the word of the Lord, and may they receive it with joy today. May they receive an encouraging word. May they receive a clarifying word that is applicable for their life today. And so, Lord, I submit myself to you. Would you use me to be your mouthpiece? And, uh, Lord, we ask for your presence and your power in this place. Would you be present in our midst today? In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Words have significant power, and that power is connected to our emotions. And sometimes we use them flippantly instead of cautiously. This morning, I want to talk to you about love and hate. Uh, These two words are perhaps the strongest words in the English language, love and hate. What do you love? Think about that. What do you love and what do you hate? Some of those things are populating in your mind right now. The things you love and the things you hate. Here's a different question. Who do you love and then who do you hate? I hope there's not many people in the hate column. But it's true. There's people that come to our minds. And your answer to this question can tell someone a lot about you, about who you are and what's a priority in your life. And so as we turn to Samek and Ayan, we find the psalmist in the middle of a love-hate relationship. And we know this because we see the word love, and it appears four times throughout this text, and then hate appears two times throughout this text. I want you to beware of loving the wrong things and hating the right things. That is a temptation in our lives. You see, we, commit our, we typically commit our time to doing the things that we love. And we typically do not commit our time to doing things that we do not love. So where are we spending our time? The biblical illiteracy of our day would say that we actually hate God's word. That if we don't read the word of God, if we don't meditate on it day and night, if we don't actually crack open the book and read the contents, then maybe we're actually saying we hate God instead of loving God. You cannot love God but hate his word, but yet somehow we do. You cannot hate Satan but love evil, and yet somehow we do. This is trivial, but this is true of us. And so we need to dig into this text and see what the Lord would say to us. This morning, I believe God wants to use Psalm 119, verses 113 to 128, to teach us how to love the things that God loves and how to hate the things that God hates, instead of getting that all mixed up. First thing I want to share with you today is loving what God loves. Loving what God loves. If you're taking notes, write that down. What we know explicitly from the scriptures is that God loves at least seven things. He loves the world, John 3, 16. God loves sinners, Romans 5, 8. God loves believers, John 13, 34. God loves the righteous, Psalm 33, verse 5. God loves justice, Psalm 11, verse 7. God loves mercy, Micah 6, 8. God loves cheerful givers. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. And so as we take our cues from the psalmist, there are three things that he says he loves in the text. 
And in writing Psalm 119, he encourages all those who would read this chapter to love the very same things that he himself loves. So he's serving as an example to us. And he's telling us, here's what I think God wants us to love. The first thing that we should love is love God's law. God, love God's law. And we see this in the second half of verse 113. And it says, but I love your law. But I love your law. Let's put aside the first part of that verse for now. And let's focus on the second half. Uh, this is not the first time the psalmist has said that he loves God's law. In fact, he's repeated it throughout Psalm 119 over and over again. Previously, he had exclaimed in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. And the Bible is something to get excited about. There's an exclamation mark. It's not like any other book out there. It is, it is inspired by the person of the Holy Spirit. And these are not dead words, but these are living words. Do we love God's law? See, when you love something, you tend to know all about it. Say you're a sports fanatic and you love basketball. You pick your sport. But when you know something, you love sports... You know the person, you know the stats, you know their number, you know their height, you know their weight, you know where they played, you know when they were traded, you know everything about them. You know all the details. When you love something, you tend to know all about it. And so we should know scripture so well that we can identify the book and the chapter and the verse. That's what God wants us to do, that we love his word so much, we love his law so much that we know it and we can identify it. We should memorize scripture so well that we can recall it even at a moment's notice. You ought to read scripture not because you're forced, not because you're manipulated, not because you're guilted, but out of your love for God, a genuine love for him. After all, this is God's word to you. This is God's word for you. Notice how the sentence transitions with the word but. And this little word might seem insignificant to you, but it signals a complete contrast to what was previously stated. Soon we will see a similar example in Psalm 119, verse 163, where it says, I hate and I detest falsehood, but I love your law. The point is that we must be very clear about what we love, super clear. It should not be vague. It should not be assumed. We should be bold. We should say it because we are people of conviction. From an Old Testament perspective, to love the law of God meant full acceptance of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was the law. So to love the law was to love those five books. In fact, the people memorized those five books. From a New Testament perspective, what does it mean to love the law? To love the law of Christ means loving God and loving neighbor as self. Therefore, for us to love the law is to submit ourselves to both the giver of the law, that is God the Father, and to the fulfiller of the law, that is Christ his Son. I want you to catch something with me. Uh, you'll see it throughout the text as I shared this morning. But there are some similarities between Psalm 119 and Psalm 19. They're actually parallel scriptures. 
And uh, you'll see them. I'll show you some examples a little later. King David in Psalm 19, verse 7, he affirmed that the law of God, uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Isn't that beautiful? If you want to have your soul refreshed, you need to love the law of the Lord. And it will do a great work within you, deep within you. So we love God's commands. Next, we love God's statutes. We see this in verse 119, where it says, All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your statutes. Notice how the sentence transitions with the word therefore. The psalmist had a reason and a cause to love God's word. When enforced, God's statutes ensured that the wicked of the earth were discarded like dross. And some of you might be wondering, what is that word dross? Like, I haven't heard that. Only those who understand metalworking would know about dross. Dross is the impurity that surfaces when a metal is heated by fire. And it is to be separated, pulled away from the pure metal. And while the wicked are discarded as scum, God's statues are to be held on as pure treasure. So when it comes to the Bible, whenever you hold it, whenever you read it, I want you to know today, there is no dross in this. There are no impurities that need to be removed from it. We have the pure word of God. It is without error and it is all we need for salvation. And the dross of other non-canonical books, books that didn't make it into this Bible, they exist and they have been removed from the text. That's why we only have 66 books of the Bible. And yes, there could be many translations of the Bible, but the purity of the message of the Bible remains intact no matter what translation you're reading. Statutes are laws, and they are inscribed or uh, engraved on stone rather than on a scroll. And this is what they did in ancient times. Once it is written, it cannot be changed because it has been permanently set in stone. There is a word called a stele. It's a big pillar of stone. It's a cut stone, and it's a slab. And often in the ancient times, they would write law code all over that stele. It was very common in the ancient Near Eastern cultures, and some of you might have heard of the Code of Hammurabi. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a famous law text. It was a Babylonian law code, and it's still held in in some uh, museums. You can find it. There's the uh, code there, and it's written on a stele, and it's been preserved, and it's been copied to be preserved as well. Think of the Ten Commandments that are written on tablets of stone. You're starting to get the idea of what a statute is. God's statutes are no longer written on stones in this way. God's statutes are, of course, written on the word of God. But instead, what we're to do is what Proverbs 7, 1 to 3 instructs, is to write God's commands, his teachings, his statutes on the tablets of your heart. It's not that your heart is filled with stone. It's that this is like stone. And we write God's word on our heart. The placement is so strategic, my friends. The things that you place upon your heart are the things that you love. And thirdly, we see loving God's commands. So we love God's laws, we love God's statutes, and now here we love God's commands. Verse 127, and it says, Because I love your commands, 
more than gold, more than pure gold. It's appropriate since we're talking about dross. It's fitting for us, uh, for the psalmist in particular, to talk about gold because it is precious metal. And even in the ancient world, gold was a commodity of trading value. It gave purchasing power. And yet we're taught that its value paled in comparison to the value of God's word. You know, the scriptures are priceless. They're precious. They're one of a kind. In verse 72, we read that the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Think about that. More than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Makes me think of the chorus I used to sing as growing up as a child. It's written by Linda Shazo. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing I desire compares with you. You know, even the things most desired on earth cannot come close to the treasure that is God's word. And I hope that you see it today as treasure, not just as a book with pages of paper, but it's God's treasure for us to mine. Once again, we see more parallels between Psalm 119 and, verse, and Psalm 19. If Psalm 119 is a macro, a big sample of the importance of the word, then Psalm 19 is a micro sample of the importance of God's word. And in Psalm 19, verse 10, it was King David who said, the laws, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, and the decrees of the Lord are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. And the repetition here is important. More than pure gold, it's amplifying the point with greater conviction. This is how valuable God's word is to us. It's like holding gold, but even more valuable than that. May that change the way we perceive the word of God today. So my question to you is, would you love God's word more than the riches of this world? Now notice that verse 127 began with the word because. I know I'm picking on some of these small words, but it's very important. We cannot just hate something because we feel like it. What we love clarifies what we hate. When you love something, then you know by definition what you ought to hate. You know what is diametrically opposed to what you love. And so the psalmist must explain the for, the psalmist must explain the why behind all of his reasoning here. And so my question is to what would you compare your love for God's laws, statutes, and commands? What would you compare it to? Because remember that words matter to God. Second point this morning, it's only a two-point sermon with a lot of sub-points, but second point, we love what God loves. Here we go, we hate what God hates. And what we know explicitly from Scripture is that there are six, but really seven things that God hates. We find this in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. And the ever so wise King Solomon, he wrote these words. There are things that God hates, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in community. These are things that God hates. Clear, straight out of the Bible. 
Well, Psalm 119 has its own list of things. Find this in verses 113 to 28. The psalmist lists a few for us. And the first thing is double-minded people. God hates double-minded people. You see this in verse 113. I hate double-minded people. Straight to the point. What is the opposite of double-mindedness? Single-mindedness. How do we move from double-mindedness to single-mindedness? We need the mind of God. In verse 125, we read, I am your servant. Give me what? Discernment that I may understand your statutes. If there's something we need more of today, I believe it is discernment. Discernment is missing all around us, but we need to ask God through the Holy Spirit to grant us greater levels of discernment in the body of Christ and in this world so we can discern what is double-minded versus what is single-minded. Being discerning is the ability to wisely choose the better option. And the psalmist, he used three similar phrases to exhibit this discernment or to pray this discernment. The first thing is, away from me, in verse 115. He says, away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. We need to learn how to address the things that God hates. The psalmist did just not think these words. He actually exclaimed these words. They came out of his mouth. Observe the punctuation mark at the end of the verse. It's an exclamation mark. So he's not saying, away from me, all you evildoers, that I make heed the commands of my God. No, he's saying, away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. The discerning man or woman of God knows how to rebuke those who are up to no good. And this verse is all about proximity. That double-minded people live close to evildoers, but single-minded people stay away from evildoers. What you rebuke says something about your allegiance to the Lord. So the first thing he says is away from me. The second thing he says is sustain me. And it's found in verse 116. He says, sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. And here in this verse, the psalmist recognizes that double-minded people can quickly turn on those who are single-minded in their commitment to the Lord. And these people dash out hope to the side. You know, we expect the psalmist to pray, save me, but instead he prays, sustain me. Isn't that interesting? We often pray that God save me from this situation, but here he's saying, sustain me through this situation. That'll preach. You know, sometimes we cannot escape it, but sometimes we have to endure it. And if you know the promises of God found in his word, you will be willing to trust the sustaining power of God. If you don't read the word of God, then you'll keep on saying, save me, save me, save me, save me, because you have nothing else to choose. But we have options. Friends, let me ask you, when is the last time you prayed this way? Not save me, but sustain me. I want you to know today that if for some reason God does not save you, here's what he surely will do. He will sustain you. And to have this perspective requires what? Discernment. You cannot know this without discerning it. 
then thirdly, we see him say and pray and likely sing as well, uphold me. Verse 117. He says, uphold me and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. And here the psalmist, he wrote, he prayed to be upheld. There's confidence. Uphold me. I'm confident that if you hold me, I will be delivered. And the Lord raises us up and he allows us to stand straight again, no matter how much the weight has come upon us. And sometimes we do not endure it, friends, we escape it. When I think about upholding, I think of safety. I think about the safety that can be found in the hands of God. That throughout Scripture, we are repeatedly told that the hand of the Lord is not too small, that the hand of the Lord is not too short. David spoke of the power of the hand of God. In Psalm 40, verse 2, he said, He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. I want you to know that today, if for some reason God will not sustain you, what he will do, he will save you, he will uphold you, and he will deliver you. you. To have this perspective requires discernment. So we hate those who are double-minded. We also hate every wrong path. And we find this in verse 128. It says, as simply as said, I hate every wrong path. You know, hate is not only directed at people. Hate is also directed at places. If our enemies aren't any indicator to us, what they often hate is what we ought to love, and what they often love is what we ought to hate. Their love for the wrong path does not just mean we love the right path, but it also means that we hate the wrong path. Earlier in verse 104, the psalmist wrote, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. In life, there are numerous paths, but how do we know if they're the right path? How do we know if they're the wrong path? And here I find it interesting that the very next verse from 104 is 105, and Pastor Joshua led us there last week, verse 105, in which we see the illuminating work of God's word, that your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. God's word illuminates the right path for us. Let us consider what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the door that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, the broadness of the road does not determine its rightness. And the narrowness of the road does not determine its wrongness. The whole point of Jesus' teaching here is that the roads are not what we thought they would be. We would think in our minds that wide is the road that leads to eternal life and narrow is the road that leads to destruction. But the opposite is actually true. It is actually harder for us to travel the right path and actually easier for us to travel the wrong path. Therefore, it's so important to consult the word of God when traversing the roads of life because as you walk on the road, what does God promise through his word? Light. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. So without this, you're walking and you will find many different roads and some roads will be dark and some roads might seem obvious to you. Some roads will turn and twist. 
But with this open, it's very simple. Light, wherever you walk, you'll see the way, you'll see the path forward. So friends, it's not enough to avoid the wrong path. We must come to the point where we actually hate the wrong path. There's a significant difference there. It's not just tolerance. It's actually hating the things that God hates. Why? Because we know that those who tread the path, where they go. We know that that path leads to destruction. So we stay far away from it, and we hate that path. We would hate to watch somebody walk down that path because it would lead to their destruction. As we conclude this morning, the worship team returns. Uh, I want to just come back to that love-hate relationship one more time. And I think we are living in a dilemma today, a dilemma that is described in Scripture, particularly in Matthew 6.24. Matthew 6.24 where it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's the day we're living in. And this particular scripture is about loving God versus loving money, that there's those two masters. But what it's indicating is that there is a place of indifference in everybody's life, that we can be caught inside the two extremes here. And it is what Jesus called lukewarm, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. And you might be here today, you might say, I love God. And I really believe that. If you say that, I, I would want to believe that of you. But how does one really know? How do we know for sure? First, as this scripture affirms, we must love God or we love Satan. Those are the two, two options we have. It's a choice because God has given you free will. So either you love God or you love Satan. There's no in-between. But the second piece is this. If we love God, we must hate Satan. And that's where some of us are struggling. We don't hate Satan enough yet. We love God. We know we don't love Satan, but we don't hate Satan. And that is the dilemma. For Satan is diametrically opposed to God. Friends, today I really believe that God is calling you to a stronger love and hate relationship. I know hate's a hard word. Love's a powerful word. But do we love God? Like really, do we love God? We say we love God. It's easy to say, I love you. But it's only proven through our actions, through our devotion, our loyalty to one another. God is calling us to a stronger love-hate relationship, to love the things that he loves and to hate the things that he hates because knowing what to love and what to hate can only come from loving and knowing God's word. So friends, be sure of this today and allow the Lord to speak to your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to clarify some things for you today that maybe you're loving things that God doesn't love. If that's you today, Make sure you get your heart right with the Lord. And make sure you move that item from one side of that inventory of love to the other side where you hate it. Because you can't serve two masters. 
Maybe you're okay. You find yourself in a good place and your love is in order in all the right places. Fantastic. Keep on doing it. Don't stop doing it. Because many things will come and try to take the place of your love. But allow Jesus to be your first love. The highest love. No greater love than the love of Jesus. God is calling you to a stronger love and hate relationship today.